DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Brett Ciancia from Pick 6 Previews. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Brett, good morning. Yeah, DJ and PK, thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to talk from BYU. You've got the Utes and the Cougar previews out. It looks like you got the Utes at 27th, BYU at 39. And uh, we'll get to the Utes here in just a second. You write some interesting stuff and recap what you've thought of them over the last two years. Uh, but let's start with the Cougars. Kind of hard to figure out playing as an independent, this uh, mix of Power 5 and non-AQ schools. But you have them down as basically a middle-of-the-pack Power 5 team. How did you come up with that? Yeah, exactly. So this year um, I added BYU to my Power 5 preview book. I mean, they have certainly have the history for it. Uh, their schedule is kind of a mix, like you said, between Power 5 and non-AQ. Uh, and, hey, you guys, BYU has a passionate enough fan base to deserve a spot. So I added them to the book. Uh, it was fascinating, you know, really digging in. I always had a passing knowledge of BYU, but really digging into their history all the way back to Lavelle Edwards and, and the you know the quarterback factory and all that. Uh, but Specifically for the last couple of years, uh, I, I applied my game grader formula. You know, that's a, a, a deep formula I created. It's a lot of uh, you know, scoring differential, yardage differential, uh, per play metrics, explosiveness. Um, you know, goes deeper than nor- the normal box score. And long story short, uh, BOU grades out middle of the pack, power five. Last year they were 39th out of 66. Um, and in terms of the pack 12, that would be right around sixth out of 12 last year. So. Um, and, it, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it, what, what they produced on the field there. Um, above average against the non-AQ teams and a little bit below average against the Power 5. They're 17-27 uh, and 27 against the Power 5 since going independent. So, um, so yeah, they were 39th last year and uh, looking for another actually bump this year. So from your perspective, what do you like about the Cougars? Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, coming into last year, I thought that would be the, the jump offensively. You know, you return Zach Wilson, uh, re- returned a lot of production offensively. I thought that would be the jump. They did improve in 13 of 14 of our metrics, um, but really it wasn't the program-changing offense we thought we'd see. So I think this year you might see that 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 game cha- that program-changing offense. Um, third year was Zach Wilson. But really what I'm most impressed about is that offensive line. Um, and and that's coming off of a very injured, you know, injury riddled season. There, it still ended up being one of the best units, having to go through 16 different line combos. Um, you know, all that all that said, it's all back and healthy, and uh, should be a veteran and strong unit. So I think, um, you know, with a strong run push, uh, Brady Christensen's a star at left tackle. You have him back. Um, you know, a, a trio of running backs with experience, Matt Bushman back. There's a lot of pieces to like, and I think the offense will be carrying BYU this year. In Bushman, do you think they have an NFL tight end, or if not, do you think they at least have a tight end who's a mismatch in most games? Definitely mismatch, and we'll see about NFL. I mean, it's very rare for a tight end to lead the team in receiving, not just once, but three straight years. Uh, Probably will take it a fourth straight year this year. Uh, part of that, I think, is by scheme design, just how BYU spreads the ball around so much to their receivers. Uh, it's, it's spread, you know, pretty thin across, say, 10 or 12 receivers, and that's not a bad thing. It's just um, you're getting a lot more receivers involved than most rosters just have three or four guys out there on every snap. So a little bit of that, but no, he's a game changer. Um, I think you lean on him over the middle, and uh, I think BYU takes a step forward offensively. 
Yeah, I think in order for them to take that step forward offensively, Zach Wilson has really got to come up big. You know, he's shown flashes of being really good, and he's had some injury issues that he's had to battle. But in my mind, he's set up to have a pretty good season. And if he can deliver on that, then the Cougars should be uh, not just fighting for bowl eligibility. They should be a little bit more than that. Do you see it differently or the same? Um, yeah, I mean, within BYU specifically, yeah, Wilson, he, he definitely showed some bright spots. I remember back in 18 with the, the perfect bowl game. Um, and then, but then, you know, it's been ups and downs because even against, against Utah the one year, he built that 27-7 lead, couldn't finish it off. Uh, you saw it at times last year. I mean, he's definitely a playmaker. He's elusive in the pocket, uh, but just got to get over the hump and finish off some of these games but in terms of bowl eligibility that's certainly up in the air not because of anything BYU related just because of all the cancellations um just looking at it quickly the first four games are already canceled for BYU and that's uh, a factor of the Big Ten um, and the Pac-12 secluding themselves to going just uh conference only so those four weeks are up for grabs um I mean if you're looking at it as as wins and losses they're they've got to be easier opponents than what you would have faced at the Power 5 level. So uh, it should be more Ws coming in, albeit less you know, Power 5 wins. Defensively, when they face teams that throw the ball, what do you think of the pass rush and what do you think of the secondary? Yeah, well, pass rush, this was something I was pretty fascinated with because um, I didn't just dig into 19 and 18. I went back you know, 10, 15 years with my numbers. And, uh, and, and it kind of matches what, you, what you'd watch. It, it used to be a very aggressive, um, you know, blitz-heavy scheme under Bron- uh, Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, think of Kyle Van Noy up there, third in the nation in sacks back in 2012. And uh, they averaged, they were always a top 25 in tackles for loss and sacks as a unit. Uh, you know, they, they, they flew to the ball, they tackled well. Um, that hasn't really been the same over the four years of uh, the Sataki era. Um, in terms of my explosiveness, you know, in the plays, making plays in the backfield, my negative play rate, uh, they averaged number 100 in the same category, which was once a top 25. So I know that's not everything to a defense, but certainly it looks different. Uh, so I think, though, yeah, so, you know, with a 4 2 5 base scheme, uh, a lot of linebackers back. Um, and again, just like the offense, there is returning production. So I think you'll see the numbers move up a little bit, but. Really, to make that next step into uh, into becoming a top twenty five program year in and year out again, I think the defense has to return to the the Mendenhall levels. Uh, Pac twelve, you've got Oregon. Not only do you have them obviously as the top team, but you got them in the playoff. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, they've, they're loaded on defense, defensive backfield, and Thibodeau, I think, is probably the best player in the Pac-12. That's just my opinion. So they certainly have a lot in Verdell on offense and, and obviously Sewell up front in the line, uh, at the line. But they got a new quarterback. Uh, and, you know, he played a little bit last year behind Herbert. What are your concerns there? Yeah, the concerns are probably you know, replacing quarterback and replacing four offensive linemen. Uh, you touched on it. Really, what led me to Oregon as a playoff pick and the Pac-12 winner is the defense. I mean, it was top five last year. They returned 10 of 11 starters, and that one spot is actually being filled now by not just one but two five-star prospects coming in a linebacker. So uh, what you're seeing at a program level is finally the first time since the 1990s a program in the Pac-12 is passing USC uh, in the five-year recruiting ranks. Uh, it's Oregon. And, uh, and further, it's not just the, the Chip Kelly – you know, speedy gadget offense that comes up small in the big games. This is built in the trenches. This is trench first. This is offensive line and defensive line first. 
Mario Cristobal, a line guru, uh, building it from the inside out. So, yeah, you lose four uh, linemen there, but the four people, the four guys stepping into those shoes were higher-rated recruits coming in. Um, I know recruiting, you know, the recruiting rankings aren't everything, but with a proven staff and developer like this, I'm pretty confident. And lastly, real quick, a quarterback, uh, yeah, it's Tyler Shuck coming in. He, he was behind Herbert last year. He kind of impressed at times in fall camp, but obviously behind Herbert, you're not going to play. So staff likes him. They also brought in Anthony Brown, a two-and-a-half two or three-year starter from Boston College, uh, and, and not to mention the best offensive coordinator hire in the cycle with Joe Moorhead. So I'm pretty confident. Um, and, I mean, I, this wasn't factored into the book logic back in May and June, but now with Ohio State off the schedule, this is looking like a, uh, a possible undefeated season. So how big is the gap? How wide is the margin between Oregon and the rest of the conference? Yeah, that's what kind of led me to the pick because when I wrote this thing, I had assumed Ohio State was going to remain on the schedule. This was, you know, that was factored into logic. I kind of had Ohio State winning that. So I said, all right, even if Oregon drops the Ohio State game in September, are they strong enough to go 9-0 and in the Pac-12 and, and, you know, run the conference? And this year I think that they are. Um, a couple of things led me to that. I mean, some of the usual Pac-12 teams that are up there fighting for 8, 9, 10 wins are going through transitions. Uh, Stanford's down again. Washington State loses Mike Leach uh, in an offseason that's very short to, to install a new offense. Uh, those two are down. Washington really has struggled offensively. Utah goes through a major roster change, and we'll touch on that. Um, and then well, the last bit on Oregon is that their three hardest conference games, they all, they're all in Austin Stadium. They're all at home. So great schedule boost there. And, uh, yeah, I think the gap this year is wide enough for them to potentially go. Now, no, you never see that in the Pac-12. You see these teams beat up each other pretty well, uh, and that's a testament to the depth of the conference. But uh, this year I do think that Oregon has distanced themselves. I like how you have Utah second behind SC. I think most folks look at SC as the number one team in the South. And you have the Utes second. The thing that I find interesting is you respect them to the point where you've got them second, which is pretty good given the fact of all the losses they have. But you've only got, on your first team offensive defense, you only got one Ute, and that's Keithy at tight end, who really had a breakout season, and I'm excited to see what he can do with Ludwig in his second year under Andy, because Andy sure put him in position to succeed at a high level this past season. So even though you've only got one out of uh, your first two uh, first team offense, first team defense Ute, why are you giving them as much respect as you're giving them? Yeah, well, I think it starts with coaching. Uh, now, it's, you might be tired of hearing this, but this is definitely an unprecedented offseason, uh, cutting out the 15 spring practices, all the summer camps and workouts. Uh, now it's even looking like a, a shortened fall season. So uh, what usually goes into my, my prediction logic is obviously my advanced stats, but then also a ton of film study, uh, calls with coaches, calls with coordinators, spring games. And that last bit, spring games, has been cut out, obviously. So without that tool, I've had to rely a little bit more on coach continuity and, and staff continuity and scheme continuity because there is some truth to that rolling over year over year. Uh, and who better than Utah's defense at that? Um, they're actually number one in my player development metric, which looks at the raw recruiting rankings compared to what they produce to the pros. Uh, it's amazing. Just a decade ago, we're talking about a Mountain West program, and now they're leading the conference in draft picks. Yeah, that's Utah. So... Um, yeah, it'll be an extremely young offense. Or, sorry, an extremely young defense. Uh, this is a unit that definitely would have loved the spring ball. Uh, but an, enough of a proven track record with, with, with Morgan Scally and their entire staff defensively that I think they'll produce a, a competent defense. 
Now, offensively, you touched on the two guys that made the first two teams. There's also three more youths on my third team, Pac-12. So you have over half the offense there uh, accounted for on the all-conference teams. Uh, it's, it's star power um, at, at the receiver core and tight end, which I never thought would be true with Utah. Uh, you know, even three or four or five years ago, that was a, a roster hole at receiver. So a lot of playmakers now, they can go three or four deep there. Um, and I think that they're poised to to weather the storm of a transition, uh, you know, from Huntley and Moss better than they used to be with uh, now with Andy Ludwig again. Um, I run these 10-year coordinator grades on offense and defense and looking statistically at his impact at Utah last year and also his impact from leaving Vanderbilt is also as fascinating. They, he had them pretty solid and they tanked without him. You can learn a lot from the coach where he's at and where he left. And uh, Andy Ludwig was one of the best coordinator hires of the year last year. So when you look at the Utes going forward and you uh, look at them reloading on defense, how long does that take? Yeah, so I think uh, the front seven will be okay. It's it's the secondary that's very young, and that's not to say that they'll that they have star players there. I just think that the extreme extreme youth uh, without a spring ball and without most of the summer is going to be tough. It's it's not uh, it's not rocket science there. But uh, yeah, you lose all four starters, uh, and then making things worse, they had um, R.J. Hubert was the next guy in line, the next potential star, and he uh, tore his ACL in the Pac-12 title game, and uh, he's going to be out for a significant time. So extremely young there. I know they had uh, Clark Phillips was their highest recruit ever. Uh, that's a top 40 kid. It was originally an Ohio State commit. Um, but, again, that, that's a true freshman without a spring. So it's going to be tough in the back. Um, but up front, I mean, hey, they re- you guys know this. They reload defensive line every year. Um, this will be no different. you got Mika Tafua back, uh, Max Tapai. These are guys that were in the rotation. Um, you know, they, they rotate eight guys deep on defensive line. So, uh, yeah, it'll be young, um, but I, I trust this, this staff more than most. So, uh, you know, I'm not looking for a complete uh, collapse. I think it'll be a, a step back. How could it not be from last year, which is could be the best defense in Utah history? Um, but it, it won't be a uh, it won't be a collapse here. You talk about Utah number one player development in the conference, and you got them pretty high nationally too, don't you? Yeah, they are actually number one nationally in my player development metric. Uh, they're number six in weight conversion. And, and, you know, these aren't um, – most people just talk about the recruiting, and I know it's important. Uh, can the recruiting people miss on one prospect here and there? Sure. But I think when you start to stack 20 players in a class and then five classes in a row, you're talking 85 scholarship players. I think they're more right than wrong. But that's just the starting point. You need to be able to, to recruit towards your scheme. You've got to be able to install the scheme and, um, you know, have these players hit the weight room and the strength and conditioning programs and the whole bit. Uh, so what, the, what these metrics look at is taking that recruiting number a step forward. And, you know, because a lot happens, obviously, on those three and four and five years on campus. So how is the staff producing those raw talents on um, February signing day into NFL draft picks in April? How are they uh, developing that in, onto wins on the field in the fall? Uh, so I, I wanted to find a way numerically to look at some of these buzzwords and um, and, yeah, Utah, as you'd expect, just like the Wisconsins and Iowas uh, of the country, who maybe not maybe don't recruit as highly as their peers on signing day, they outgrind them on the field, they're physical, they win games more than their, more than their signing day you know, peers. So Utah is definitely in that category, and that, that should pop off the page in the book. So how big is the gap between USC? I mean, you got to rank somebody one, somebody two, somebody three. But how big is the gap between USC and the rest of the division, especially Utah at second? 
I think it's it's decent. I mean, it's definitely noticeable. I have USC 17th overall, uh, and then Utah and Arizona State just outside the top 25. So you have a ranked team there. I think what really stood out to me is how much they return on offense. Um, the way that Graham Harrell was able to come in there overnight, and this was a coach that I got to talk to in the preseason. It was fascinating how how quickly he brought um, you know his his air raid attack in. Of course, this is the quarterback from Texas Tech 10 years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, he came in to tailback you, as it was once known, and, and turn this thing into an offensive juggernaut. So all those receivers are back except for Michael Pittman. But, I mean, you have four, four All-American caliber guys at receiver. Keaton Slovis did this as a true freshman last year. So I think the offense will remain possibly the best in the conference. Uh, defensively, and this is the issue with USC every year as a, you know, as a preseason prognosticator, uh, you know, trying to relate their recruiting rankings, like I said, um, onto the field because they always recruit at the top. I mean, they're always up there, um, but they, they struggle getting it, you know, producing wins and producing stats out of it. So the, the, the issue will be defense. Uh, the raw talent's there. They brought in Todd Orlando from Texas, defensive coordinator. He had some ups and downs there, um, but, you know, how quickly will they be able to, to maximize the talent on defense? It happened overnight on offense. Uh, can they do it on defense? But uh, with that uncertainty, I have them outside of the top ten but high enough to win the conference, or high enough to win the division because of that offense. Sometimes there's a sleeper in the Pac-12, not always, but sometimes. And if I were to ask you, who would you look to as far as this year being a sleeper, who would you pick? Well, I guess sleeper's a tough term. At Washington, I have, um, you know, number 16 overall, second in the North. Um, I really put this in the book, though. They're they're an offensive coordinator away from being a playoff team every year and like a playoff caliber, you know, fighting for a playoff spot every year. I mean, their defense, um, as you guys know, I mean, they're, they're trotting out top five units every single season. Uh, and going through this coaching change, they promote Jimmy Lake, that defensive genius, up to head coach. So they retain that defensive backbone there. It's just a matter of can they get this offense working. It's been brutal the last two years um, ever since Jonathan Smith took over at Oregon State. So, I mean, if they can, if they can turn out a dynamic offense, uh, and start putting up 35, 40 a game, this would be a very complete program. Um, so I don't know if that's for 2020 sleeper or just in general going forward, but if they get that offense woken up, then uh, that, that's a great program. Uh, another quick sleeper could be Arizona State. Uh, I see them in the top 25 of a lot of, pro, uh, a lot of uh, publications. They're right there for me as well. Um, you know, I think that Herm Edwards, remember back to when he was signed, uh, you know, all the all the Twitter people ran over to Twitter and started joking about that hire. I like to wait and, and look back two or three or four years later, put my game grader formula on it and see how they really did. And he's doing awesome down there. I mean, it, it was a great hire. Uh, at the same time, everyone crowned Chip Kelly the hire of the cycle, and you look at that collapse. So, uh, yeah, fast forward to 2020. It's his third year here. Jaden Daniels is an excellent quarterback. He showed that as a freshman last year. Uh, a lot of late game drives and wins. Very clutch. Uh, the, the, the issue with Arizona State will be a double uh, a double coordinator switch in a short offseason. They're, uh, they're scrapping a three three five defense scheme for an NFL-type scheme, bringing in Marvin Lewis. You'll recognize him, the old Bengals coach, uh, is taking over at defensive coordinator. So some staff change, some star power change uh, with you know, Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk gone. But, uh, but still, I think a strong enough team that could push for eight, nine, ten wins. 
So Stanford had a great run, three Rose Bowls in the first five years for Shaw there in his tenure. He had five double-digit win seasons in the first six years, but the last three haven't been the same. They haven't even really been close, uh, 22-17 and 17 over the last three years. Is that coming back? Has the ship sailed and it's a transition in the north? What's going to happen with Stanford? Yeah, I think uh, it's both things, actually. I think that um, it's definitely a program transition. It's no longer your 2010 Stanford that was bullying teams around for seven yards of carry and just, uh, you know, ball control, big offensive line. Uh, that's all gone. Um, now, it, it was, it'll was it be better than last year for 2020. Last year they went through a ton of injuries at quarterback, at offensive line. Uh, I know they get three starters back that were injured during the season offensive line-wise. So it'll be a, a decent offensive line. Um, but on a higher level, yeah, this thing has kind of collapsed from what we saw. The, their window of opportunity, I think, is closed, especially with how Oregon and Washington are starting to recruit now in the north. Um, the difference being that the defense has really fallen off. Now, that was just always a steady unit uh, back under Derek Mason when he was at the at defensive coordinator, uh, even the early years of Lance Anderson. But once once Solomon Thomas left, I think it was 2016 or 17, you saw this defensive line just really you know fall into itself as a – you know, a shell of what it what it used to be, and um, they're getting pushed around week in and week out. And I think actually, you always see you always see transfers, but and it's usually younger guys. But I think two of their defensive line starters transferred. So weird stuff happening. I think 17 transfers out of Stanford. So keep an eye on them as uh, as a total wild card this year. They'll be, they'll be better than 19, but this is no longer your top 10 caliber. You know, annual North winner. Uh, that's that that's certainly gone. Well, Brett, we appreciate the overview of the Utes and the Cougars and the Pac-12. Thanks for uh, coming on for a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anytime. Um, appreciate all, all you know all the interactions with the BYU fans now on Twitter. I, I've been interacting with Utah for a while, but now adding BYU to the, to the book has been great. Uh, just seeing these two fan bases go at it, I, I love it. I love the passion. You don't really see that on the on the on the coasts or in the pro city. So, a uh, ton of respect for both fan bases. Brett Sancia, Pick 6 Previews. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Houston Rockets guard Russell Westbrook announced on social media that he tested positive for COVID-19 before the team left for Orlando. That's the reason why he didn't travel with the team. He says he's feeling good. James Harden and Luke Mbamute also did not travel with the team to the bubble. Their status is not known. In a reversal of what was thought to be a dress code protocol implemented last week, NBA players will be able to wear clothing from their own wardrobes while walking from team buses to venue locker rooms ahead of games in the bubble in Orlando. The NBA will allow players to wear what are being termed as Relaxed items, including presentable shorts. Players not participating in games and seated on the bench need to wear pants, but will not be required to wear a sport coat. That's your back to basketball update presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Craig Bullerjack, knowing Mike's got to pick up some of the scoring that we're going to see missed by Boyan Bogdanovich, what does Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell on the court together look like in the return? Donovan needs the ball, Mike needs the ball, and Joe is going to bring the ball up the floor in different scenarios. The biggest key is that if Mike and Joe and Donovan all understand that in different scenarios they're going to be the, the guy, and then the other guys have to be able to continue to move, and when the shot opens, they've got to hit it. You don't make up 20 points easy, right, with Bogey's absence and a 41% three-point shooter. So Conley becomes even more important. I think this team's prepared, I really do, mentally, and almost with a chip on their shoulder in a way, is to come back as one. And that's what it's going to take to really go deep into the playoffs. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. So, PK, we just had Brett Ciancia on, and he talked a lot of football. He talked about BYU, where he thought he, they fit in the Power Five. Thought they were kind of a middle-of-the-Power Five team. Talked about the youths, thought they are Second in the Pac-12. USC, they'll pull away a little bit, but Oregon really separating at the top of the league. And then he also talked about the fan bases. He's added BYU to his Power 5 previews here, and so he's kind of got them in the mix. And he has seen, in his own words, he's seen Uten Cougar fans going back and forth. Now, for a guy who's obviously trying to sell, right? He's, he's got these predictions. He's not doing this so he can read them himself later. But he does live in Pennsylvania. So so he doesn't bring any regional bias or necessarily even knowledge, kind of the general of what kind of feedback he gets from this part of the country. And then he throws this out at the end of the interview. I appreciate all, you know, all the interactions with the BYU fans now on Twitter. I, I've been interacting with Utah for a while, but now adding BYU to the, to the book has been great. Uh, just seeing these two fan bases go at it, I, I love it. I love the passion. You don't really see that on the on the on the coasts or in the pro city. So, uh, a ton of respect for both fan bases. You always talk about the impact the fans make, the feeling in the stadium that attracts uh, recruits. They they come. They don't necessarily know, right? They're coming from California or or maybe Arizona or Las Vegas or something like Texas. They don't necessarily know, and they feel all that passion, and nobody wants to play in an empty stadium. You want to play in a full stadium. You want to play in a place with the, the place going nuts, and here's a guy who lives in Pennsylvania, and he's figured it out just checking out Twitter. That's why it's a top-four job, University of Utah, in the Pac-12. It's not exclusively why they've had success. I mean, they, they, you have to go towards the, the coaching staff and their ability to – find recruits that fit what they're looking for and develop them. And, and, you know, he does have uh, Utah as the number one development program in the country. And if you go by recruiting rankings, and I think that's what he's doing there and how they end up being professionals, it's hard to argue their ranking as being extremely high because they put a number of guys in the NFL. And it seems like every couple of years, you got to give them a year to reload a little bit. And then the year after, the year after that, they're putting seven, eight guys in again. So, you know, you have this big senior class and you send them off the NFL, then you reload with some underclassmen, and then when they get to be juniors and seniors, away they go into the NFL. Now, we've had that in a couple of cycles there, but the fact that the passion is there, yes, absolutely. And I, do, I think recruits do know it. I, I think they're well aware of the passion 
that is in this community. And I told you, uh, what was it? Uh, wasn't wasn't last year? It would have been the year before when I was down in Tempe covering the uh, oh the Pac twelve uh, a Pac twelve conference uh, official administ- official yes. administrator or something. Yeah, Just, comes comes up to you and starts talking about man, it's Salt Lake City. <laughs> yeah, I intru- I introduced myself. And uh, he's saying, we love having Utah in the conference. He says, guys like you, you know, the passion that you bring in the coverage and the passion that the fans have. I mean, they really, we bring the coverage because the fans demand the coverage, essentially. We want to stay in business. Obviously, we've got to cover you. And we've got to cover you as detailed as we possibly can. That's why our management has sent me on the road all these years uh, way back, and I can remember in the beginning when I, st- I, I told the, the former sports information director, I said, "Yeah, I'll need a credential for that game." She said, "You're going?" I said, "Yeah." And the station's paying for you to go? Yes. I'm not, <laughs> not going to go by myself. Well, some of these dot comers, they basically they pay themselves, yep. pay for themselves to go. And it used to be just the newspapers that would send folks, and then occasionally television. Well, you're seeing it more and more now that it's well beyond. Uh, one newspaper guy from each uh, location. No, it's multiple. It's many. And the passion is there. Passion's always been there for uh, BYU, and it's there for Utah. That's why this is a great college football market, man. It absolutely is. And why Utah is, without hesitation do I say this, having been in all these cities multiple times for many years now, that this is as good just about as good as it gets in the conference. So when you that's say why they've had success, when you say it's a top four job, I'm assuming Oregon, USC, clearly uh, mm-hmm. those two jobs, and then it, despite the fact Stanford's got you know three Rose Bowls and five New Year's Six and the la- uh, appearances in the last decade, and the Utes have none, I don't think you're going there. So Washington, is that what you're uh, thinking? Yeah, you can put Washington in there, and then I think you can stand for deserves. Cause, no. <laughs> not, not, not right now, maybe. Uh, well, no, maybe I, 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 get the, I get the program is down, but it's a possibility there because you're sitting yeah, in the it's not there recruiting yet. mother load, but they haven't cashed in on it for 20 well, years. Well, cha- if it ends up being, I'll change it. I'm talking about right now. It's yeah. not like it's going to be this way forever. It's not etched in stone uh, until time ends. No, I'm talking about right now in the most recent years and in, in the year we're living in. And it may, maybe down there in Westwood, they'll get it together, and then I can adjust. I think Stanford deserves consideration, but it deserves, it deserves consideration for different reasons. The reason being that they get the cream of the crop, crop academically, and they can recruit nationally. Now, that's a blessing and a curse. Yep. It's harder to get kids in, but when you get them in, and they've got that combination, and we see. I mean, they've had a number of great players. This Walker Little offensive uh, lineman for Stanford right now is expected to go very, very high. And we'll see how this kid, the LDS kid who just got off his mission, McGee, you know, a lot of McKee people were excited about him. So you can get those types if they can combine that. But you're never going to go to Stanford because of the passion of the rabid fan base. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. They had 12,000 people butts in seats at a game this year, and they just dropped 11 sports. You know, they, they used to draw 40,000 pretty routinely, 35,000, 40,000, and they're not even close to that now. No, they, they played Pac-12 title games where it wasn't sold out. Now, the one time they could recall it was a rainy night on a Friday, but nevertheless, uh, they just, it's not who they are. 
but they've got a lot of things going for them. If my kid was ever being recruited by Stanford, I would say son or daughter, boy, you better really seriously consider that because it's not about sports. And you can get good sports there, uh, but, I mean, it's about setting yourself up for life. Uh, so just Stanford, Stanford is separate from the other schools in the conference as far as what they can offer. So that alone puts them on a plateau. And Washington, yeah. But, I mean, I've been to Washington many times, and maybe they didn't have their best teams. But – and it's, it's good. There's no doubt about it. But it's – in my mind, it's not better than what Utah has. As I compare the two, you know, they got the lake there, and if you get, if you should play a day game, and it's nice, and it's all fun to sail over there, and yeah. you know they dock the boats, and it's unique and all. But I really don't think that the passion is any better than Utah's. I mean, I, I'm based on my experience of having been there many times over many years before the stadium was remodeled and after the stadium was remodeled and been there with both Utah and BYU, I mean, it's great. And Chris Peterson did a marvelous job. There's no doubt about it. He got burned out. I understand he's uh, teaching at the University of Washington. They've got him on the faculty now doing some work. Uh, but as far as the passion goes, Utah is right there, man. They're, 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 that's, and that's part of the reason why the fans, you people who are listening to us, you're part of the reason why this program has been extremely successful. Absolutely. So I consider it a premier job in this conference. Yeah, absolutely I do. Well, that's from a guy from Pennsylvania who notices on Twitter that uh, the Utah and BYU fans go at it. You know, the fact that it's one metropolitan area with two teams. I know it's two different counties, but it's all grown together and it's one metro area with two teams and with no NFL. You know, just, there aren't that many examples of that. It's pretty unique and it's, uh, it's definitely working for college football. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they've got the right guy running the program too. I mean, that's more important. You got to hire the sure. right people. You got to yeah. hire the right people. If you don't and, hire and the right people, you've got that. Right. There's there's no question about that. You've got that. The, the guy and his staff have the ability to identify and develop. There's just zero question. Everybody knows that. And then just got locked here. What the hell was that? Yach doesn't know. He's staring at the board. I thought that was going to lead to some sort of uh, Kyle Whittingham comedy, a drop I didn't know about or something. <laughs> Yach's now looking at the board. We're, we're in an auxiliary studio while they rebuild the main one because when the earthquake happened, there was a power surge and it fried a lot of stuff. And they got in there with a soldering gun and some, some bubble gum and some hairspray and, and got the thing working We're almost again. back to the new studio, though. Yeah, I know. They are supposed to, to be wrapping that up, I think, in, a, in the next couple of weeks. They're trying to get it done before the NBA restart. And start doing jazz games and all so that. So we've got 16 days. Yeah. So anyway, so Yach's working with a board he's not familiar with because this board had to be replaced too. They had to replace this studio and they're replacing the main drop, studio. But I played off of the wrong source, it looks yeah. like. Well, figure it out, Yach, on your own time. Uh, you know, it happens, man. We'll always remember that you screwed up on a day like today. And today is a special day. Just looking at Twitter here. Do you know today is National Nude Day? I didn't. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's radio. How wrong can it go? 
<laughs> Yuck. Yuck's like, oh, give it a chance, DJ. My father-in-law, who was born in Switzerland, would love today. Now, he's gone now, but he would love today. He was all about the nudity, just walking around the house, out by well, the pool. He, he just, uh, you know, Europeans have a different view of that stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, he wouldn't walk around the house, but uh, by the pool, uh, maybe a time or two. There was a reason when I would come into the house that I would start coughing. <laughs> and it's always it's always fascinated me yes honey culture, i'll get that i'll bring it right to you here in america we just wouldn't do that but he was a swiss he was from switzerland he was european all the way spoke like five different languages uh and uh you know he 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 became an american but for him what was completely and totally commonplace for others, we'd say, well, what are you doing? Remember Pace told us about that? You know, his wife was from Italy and uh, going to the beach with his mother-in-law. It was, it was a little, little bit different. You know? <laughs> 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 this is, they don't think anything of it. And I hey, hear, whoa, like, hey, whoa, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah. Hey, now. It's, it's kind of funny how that is, but yeah, just... I saw that, so I would advise the two of you to go home and celebrate National Nude Day. Not sure the neighbors will be thrilled with that, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, take a shower. How about that? <laughs> okay. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Steve Cleveland, our basketball and now life insider, our chief storyteller, will join us coming up at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you... To be careful out there. Steve Cleveland, coming up to talk some basketball here in a few minutes. And uh, PK, you got anything you want to get to? Because the show's going to get away from us here pretty quick. We're getting late. No, I'm, you got I'm something, good. You wanna, something you want to no, pounce I'm, on? This is your chance. I'm good. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> You're just checking out at 8.50. Yeah, that's enough. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, man. No, 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 I'll just, I'll, I'll let you got something. I think it's a real credit to uh, Utah's program that they, you know, looking at uh, Siancia's, uh he's got first team, second team, third team. I think that's all he's got on uh, all Pac-12. And, you know, on the first and second, he's just a couple of Utes. Uh, he's got Jalen Dixon as a second team receiver. I'm not sure I see that. Uh, I don't even know that Jalen Dixon is the best receiver out on the team for Utah. But he's only got Keithy as a first-teamer. He's the only first-teamer on either offense or defense. And you look at Oregon, they got uh, they got like seven. So seven out of the 22 on first-team uh, offense and defense. They've got uh, five 
no four four on offense. Uh, so anyway, uh, I think it's just just a credit. The reality is that Utah is one of the most respected programs in the country. <laughs> he said that, and you've yeah. been pointing that out for a while, all the media people to respect, and sure enough, there was. The one thing he said, though, that kind of sticks with me is they really coach him up because they're not getting the best guys. Well, how do we know we're not, they're not getting the best guys and you guys are misevaluating them? Yeah, I don't know if he does the star ranking himself. Sure, I get that. I meant others. more as a group. The, I know, the I people know, who write previews yeah, and who do the recruiting services, and that's a group, and they don't all do the same thing. But if you take them as a group of 20, you know, you hear that all the time, and I think, maybe they're just evaluating better. <laughs> that's why fo- football is the great equalizer. And what I mean by that is the – the six five. You look at this Thibodeau kid for the number five for Oregon. He is a defensive end linebacker type. I mean, he's a freshman last year, and he was just in Huntley's face the whole ball game, right? Oh, everybody can see that. That takes no talent whatsoever. I am not a talent evaluator in the least, but I guarantee you, if I would have gone to one of his high school games, and I think he's up. Uh, Ventura County is where he's from, somewhere up there. And if I watched him one series, one series, I could say, wow, that kid is something. He's a whatever star ranking is the top, that kid's got it. All right? Everybody can do that. And so he goes to Oregon, and he's going to be a terror this year and the next year, and then he's going to be a top five pick in a couple of years from now for the the NFL. I, I would be shocked. If that wasn't the case, right? So you can identify those guys, but it is a real skill. You look at Keithy. Keithy, I mean, he's the only guy they've got. He's got, uh, I think, uh, Seance's got him fourth team All American, too. So he does uh, first, second, and third teams for conference. All Americans, he's got fourth team, right? And this is a kid out of Texas who wanted to go to Texas, but didn't even get a sniff. Didn't get one sniff from Texas. He told us that there as they were preparing the season, preparing for their uh, bowl game. They made him available a couple of times. So they get him, they develop him a little bit, and he plays well as a freshman. I think he was a sophomore last year. I'd have to double check. Uh, And he's going into his junior year. And now first team all-conference. He's a first-team all-Pac-12-er. No drop? Nope. Doesn't really... Yach's just shaking his head. He's got a look on his face, PK. (laughs) Just like, yeah, this isn't any fun. I don't know where anything is on this board. I can't do anything in a timely fashion. i got to plan everything out during a break. I hate this. I hate my life. (laughs) Would he be a first-team all-Pac-12-er or just a first-team Packer? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. You have to work on that. You're going to have to refine the act there. First team, all pecker. <laughs> Top three all-time drops, Riley Jensen. <laughs> Classic. He's a first team, all wecker. <laughs> so they developed this kid, and then I think Troy Taylor used him a little bit. Uh, Ludwig deserves a ton of credit. I think Troy Taylor probably would have developed him maybe close to, if not as much, because he was a, a sophomore. You, uh, 
Well, the, I think that throwing to him would have become evident. I mean, I think, you know, the player gets to determine that and then the coordinator, the play caller takes advantage of it. I don't know that he would have run for as many touchdowns. You know, three yeah. touchdowns on six carries, you know, that's putting in a wrinkle. I don't I don't know that every offensive coordinator would have done it. Maybe they yeah, would have. Yeah, but Troy, Troy Taylor was using the double tights uh, close a lot. He Ludwig deserves tons of credit. I thought he had a phenomenal season. There's no question about it. He's he's an awesome coordinator. Can't say enough about the guy. But he got Keithy in his second year, as opposed sure. to Taylor. Taylor had him in his first, so he's a little more more of a known commodity. Nevertheless, who cares? He was very productive and expected to be extremely productive this season. The point is that the Utah coaches saw this kid and saw something in him. And Texas didn't want him. I don't know, probably Oklahoma didn't want him either, but he didn't mention. He just mentioned Texas because he's a Texas kid. And they're playing Texas. Yeah, and then obviously they're playing Texas. So, you know, you ask that question along those lines. You can see why Dixon, a Dixon kid, didn't get the run. He was much smaller. He's a much smaller kid. And so Texas can get the bigger receivers and all that. And so you have those advantages. But to be able to develop these kids to the level they have, this program, I think, gets top ten respect in the country. Yeah, absolutely. And That's why we're interested when you said it was a top four job. Yes. Because I don't know that it would be interesting i don't i don't know but i i gotta admit i haven't seen it done if they rank the jobs based on you know how good a job it is if you rank all the basketball jobs based on how good a job it is sometimes the expectations alone get so high that it makes it not as good a job well that makes it difficult yeah Yeah. i think that's what you're getting in oregon absolutely i think helfridge got uh, drowned by the expectations of the program yeah and so some that can be a disadvantage now I'm assuming that uh, let's just give on the conservative side, we'll give Kyle five more years. I don't know if he's going to go five more years, but just say five more years. I'm assuming that they're going to be successful, all those five, to one degree or another, they're, but they're going to be successful. And then the replacement, that the, whoever Kyle's replacement is, the job becomes more difficult than it is right now. Yes. Because you got, you got to match Kyle's expectations. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You do. And you'll get less time to do it. Ask Ray Giacoletti. There'll be a much quicker trigger. If that coach were to produce two five and sevens, I'm not sure he gets... Thanks for playing. I don't don't know what he gets the third year. Well, Kyle Kyle got the third year because... He was, you know, it depends on who hires him. Is the AD who hired you still there? Because that AD is more likely to give you a little more time. Um, it, uh, you know, Kyle also got a little, there was a little recognition, hey, they're trying to make this transition yeah, yeah, from yeah. the Mountain West to the Pac-12. So that sure. helped. The fact Chris yeah. Hill was the AD who had hired him, that helped. The fact that Kyle had had the Sugar Bowl season, had a lot of credibility and a lot of trust with the fan base, that helped. You, know, you don't know these other factors, what's going to be working for or against another coach. Right, but this new guy isn't going to get any of those benefits. <laughs> he's just going to get all the pressure. Now, he's going to get paid well, and he's walking into a great job. The stadium will be top of the line. You know, they're doing that remodel in the, the south, south end, end zone yeah. right now, and it'll all be set, certainly. I mean, Kyle will coach in the, in the remodel stadium, so obviously the 
new guy will get that too. But that new guy, whoever it might be down the line, whenever it might be, is going to face a ton of pressure because the fan base now, it's well beyond, wow, we're in a Pac-10, let's run our Pac-12 stickers on the back of our car. They don't care about that crap anymore. That's gone. Where's my 10 wins? Yeah, they're paying good money, man. They want results. This fan base is just like any other fan base. You're paying good money to go to those games, and they're going to be ticked. People were furious about the uh, Oregon game. And I think the bowl games is a little bit different because the bowl games have been uh, devalued to an extent. But the Oregon game, they got their butts kicked. There's no other way to say it. And that came out of left field. Did not see that whatsoever. And people were furious about it. And you couldn't blame it on referees like you tried to do with the Washington game. That wasn't going to work here. You just got destroyed. Run up. You basically got run off the field. And that wasn't acceptable under any circumstance. And a fan base is holding people accountable, as all great fan bases do. It's what they should do. All right, DJ and PK, we're talking with Steve Cleveland next. Stay with us.